Welcome to Trinity Radio with Dr. Braxton Hunter and Professor Jonathan Pritchett. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here and he is a New Testament guy, does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. You can go out of this room tonight and be a Christian apologist. Now, it may not be that you're able to give the answers, but you know, you can be immediately when we're done here tonight, you can be an answer finder for people. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. The victorious Braxton Hunter. Today we're going to talk about uh, the debate. Stick with us. This is the first word. (laughs) I've got to do a segment, but I just can't. I just can't. I'm sorry. I, I, look, I'm just tired, okay? It's been months of preparing for this debate and this conference and... I, I like Matt, but I've heard Matt. If you hear this, I've heard this voice. I've heard your voice more than I've heard my wife's. Uh, I'm just tired of it. I just want to watch a movie or something. Just Netflix. Not that I'm buzz marking for Netflix. I I can't I can't do this segment. That's all I've got. That's that's it. And now today's topic. So it's here's not heresy. It's come on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now this is I I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but and welcome back to the main show. And Jonathan. Uh, there was uh, the duel of Dade County uh, back when I <laughs> debated Joe Myra. Then there was the battle at Baltimore. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to call this, the war at Waco or something. But, um, uh, yeah, just back from Baylor University and Truett Seminary in Waco, Texas, from a debate with the Matt Dillahunty. Yes, and they have taken to calling you Braxton the Dillahunter. <laughs> well, I'm not going to encourage that, but um, I am going to <laughs> encourage that. That's not going away. Yeah, in I, fact, that's what we're titling our episode, and we're going to Photoshop your face on Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> well, now that you said it, somebody's going to do it. Yeah. But here's the thing. Let me say this right from the beginning. This is my disclaimer about this entire episode. I have been listening to a lot of Matt Dillahunty for a while now, and I have come to really like him as a person. Sure. Um, I do believe that he, he and the atheist experience is not good for Christianity, obviously. And of course, that's I'm sure they're happy about that. But I came to like him as a person kind of in the way that a lot of Christians liked Christopher Hitchens, you know, that he, his rhetoric and the way that he talked and carried himself. He was enjoyable to listen to and a funny guy. And Matt's that way. And so I, as a person, just as a fellow man, you know, somebody wise, John Calvin, I think, once said something about that when you're looking at any other human being, you are there ought to be a reverence because that's a person made in the image of God. Yeah. And that goes for Zakariotis, that goes for Matt Dillahunty, mm-hmm. that goes for everybody. And so th- th- I liked, I, but I, beyond that, I, became, I came to really like him. And uh, right before the debate, you know, uh, I, I, I think it's okay to share this. I said something to him like, 
well, I've seen the atheist experience, and I've seen how you're different in debates, but I don't know which Matt I'm going to get today. Is this is this going to be WWE or something? You know? Mm. And he said no. And and uh, he said, you know, I don't I don't even worry about who wins and loses and that sort of thing. I want to have a real discussion. Well, that's Not, good because he lost. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I admire that. By the way, for those of you atheists who may be listening to the show, and perhaps Matt, if you're listening, uh, the, 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 this show is very much, I'm the straight man, and he's the snarky, curmudgeonly professor. So. No, <laughs> I, it's, well, yeah, but, but, but so, no, uh, in, in these debates, sometimes there's uh, no clear winner, and sometimes there's clear winners and losers. And let me tell you why I think that you won and why I agreed with you in your uh, post-debate uh, interview with Leighton Flowers that not only could nobody say that you lost, but there's no real way to, anyone could say that he won because uh, you presented arguments and evidence from the data, and I want to talk about that point, uh, and uh, uh, like Christopher Hitchens, Matt Dillahunty has a very charming and smooth way of saying nuh-uh in a thousand words. But it all reduces down to uh, no, nuh-uh, uh, I don't know, and you don't know either. But it's all, there, there was no positive construction, really, other than, uh, well, we don't really have... A, a good enough tool like science to do history and investigate the supernatural and whatever else. Yeah. Uh, which is actually the same tool that you use to investigate those things is the same tool that he used to make the claim. Right. We don't have So, so it, it's, it's like, well, I mean, kind of a self-defeating argument there. But, yeah. So first I yeah. would like to start this by talking about, and I did this actually in the second debate interview we did at the conference. Um, I want to talk first about what I think Matt did well. I know that that's shocking for me to start that way, but but I do. I don't want people. Oh, to think, I could say a lot of things that he, uh, he did well. Yeah. So let, let's. Let he me said say, he can, anyone who can say uh in uh, more than a thousand words, it, man, you are. Let, let me tell you, you what are I, an incredible sophist. Let me tell you what I think he did well. So first of all, I think what he did well was um, he he knows his audience. So if you watch an episode of The Atheist Experience, there's a lot of profanity. There's a lot of hanging up on people. And actually, I got a little bit of an insight on why he burns through a lot of those people as quickly as he does is because they take anyone who calls and they give preferential treatment to theists. So yeah. if you're a theist and you call, they're going to answer you before maybe some of the atheists. And so he, he I, th I believe him when he says this. He's trying to burn through, you know, the, the person who calls doesn't know anything to try and see if he can get you know, a real apologist or somebody who knows right. an argument. So I, I appreciate that. Um, but, but anyway, he's very aggressive on the atheist experience. Right. And I like that. Well, you would. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, 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 but see, here's the, here's the thing. I, I like that. And it is kind of like, I, and, and because we've kind of monitored some of his debates, he can be like that in some of the debates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but he wasn't in yours, which means, Oh, I got to be nice too. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? the side Tim Brigham Kate is the only example of a debate where I think the Christian that I've heard of his debates yeah. where where I, where I think the Christian got uncool. You know. Yeah. Um, well, you and but, I have talked about that debate. I I have. I but have I think it. I personally think I, the unpopular opinion here. Right. You think? He, I think Cy won. Yeah. I think Cy. I I think Cy lost big time. 
Uh, here's what I'll say. I thought that his opening troll of Matt Dillahunte was brilliant. Not for a debate, but it was brilliant. It was entertaining to watch. Sure. But the problem is, is I don't think he ever went anywhere with it. And Well, this is not the review of the side right. debate, but I would yeah. do want to say this about the side debate is my biggest problem with, and I'm not a presuppositionalist apologist like Sai is, but my yeah. biggest problem with that, and I want all of you who are skeptics who are listening to this to, to hear me say this, is it's not his approach that bothered me. What bothered me was when uh, when during the Q&A, and even Matt did, may have asked him some questions like, what about slavery? What about genocide in the Old Testament? What about these kind of things? And he would just say, yeah, I don't answer those questions for non-believers. I don't do Bible studies with non-believers. If you want to become a believer, then we can talk about it. Listen, I feel like our job is to give answers. Right. And if we have answers, we should give them. I have uh, an open invitation to any non-Christian who wants to come to any Bible study I host. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Happy, happy, happy to do and that. And we'll answer all your tough questions. Yeah. If we can. Yeah. And it, we can. <laughs> yeah, and it just and you. The, 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 we do have answers. You yeah. may not like them because of your sensibility, but yeah. that is, but that's irrelevant. So anyway, yeah. back to what I think Matt did well. So what yeah. I think he did well was he knows his audience, and he's yeah. a different Matt in debate than he is on the atheist experience most of the time, yeah. and especially when he knows uh, that there's a Christian crowd. Now, this is not me trying to yeah. psychoanalyze him. He said this in videos right. that what he does when he is before a primarily Christian audience is that he wants to come off as non-threatening, as um, someone who's approachable, someone who's a friend, and, and kind of show people that atheists don't suck the blood of children. Right. You know, that atheists can be nice people. And we've said that from a human perspective. Uh, we think we're all sinners, but from a human perspective, yeah, atheists pay their taxes, well, here, yeah. they're nice to their and kids, here, they love their kids. But here's a, a thing that works in his favor. Uh, it's the same reason why that you and I are are just whenever we do hire faculty, we always look for do they have pastoral experience? Because you know how sometimes we, we've talked about in the past people with pastoral experience typically are better professors yeah. than those without. I mean, yeah. sorry, yeah. Uh, I, but uh, because he w it's like Penn Gillette because he has a mu mu uh, a magician's background, you know, he actually has. Uh, kind of the equivalent in that world of of being an entertainer uh, and i don't mean that in well a, and he was training to be a pastor yeah and 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 that i and i don't mean entertainer in a negative thing i love entertainers yeah. but what i'm saying is he, he he takes those skills like you would take a pastoral set of skills mm -hmm. and brings it into this arena yeah and it's 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 lethal so you know the, because you can become <clears throat> likable you know how to play to an audience and if you know, and he does, and if you're fam familiar with the arguments uh, enough to talk about it in, in, in an intelligent way, that's a lethal combination. That makes him dangerous. It's the same with Hitchens. Yeah. You know. So he so he did that, and uh, you know, let's uh, so let's go ahead and start talking about opening statements because, and I'll lead by talking about his opening statements because what I want to, even though mine came first, I want what I want to say is that's where what he did well, he did the best, which is. I'm going to give you my personal testimony of deconversion in yeah. a way that will hopefully be palatable to Southern Baptists sitting in the crowd who are older people, you know. And so he he did that. Now, what's interesting is we had 20 minutes of opening statements, and I don't know how long he went doing the personal testimony thing, but my just me thinking, I haven't timed it, but me thinking back on it, it's it, it had to be most of it. And then all he, and but then he brought, this is the other thing he did well, he brought an argument, not framed as an argument, but he yeah. brought an argument that is, I think, the second best argument that atheists can bring. 
That doesn't mean that I think it can't be answered. I tried to answer it in the debate and think I did. But I think if you're an atheist and you're trying to make a case, there's two good arguments you got. I think those are the only two good arguments you got. The problem of evil. The probabilistic. That's the best. The probabilistic. Uh, the, yeah, the evidential probabilistic yeah. argument from evil is the best that atheists can do, in my opinion. And then uh, the divine hiddenness thing. Yeah. And the reason is because even Christians know what it's like, and those things are tied together a little bit. He didn't bring a problem of evil, but the, the, those two things, because everyone knows what it's like to go through loss, to experience loss or something, or wonder in a bad business situation, God, where are you in the midst of this? Yeah. Right. So there's something intuitive about it. But the divine hiddenness thing, and I actually checked that in my rebuttal, but we're not to my rebuttal yet. But I thought that was a good move to bring that argument. Now, yeah. you didn't use my line. What's your line? When, when he said, uh, why doesn't Jesus show up? My line was, well, he has people for that. Yeah, he has people for that. <laughs> I'm his people. Right, I'm one of his people. But Just he, like you're not Satan, but maybe you're working for him. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, but, but, here, but here's the thing. Uh, yes. I thought those were, I thought, I thought, I don't know why he didn't bring more of a constructive case. Now, this is just Matt Dillahunty's way, is is he deconstructs, right. but he doesn't construct his but own But he also case. doesn't believe that he has to. Yeah, his position is, and this is a change. Now, I, I have heard this from multiple people afterwards, and this is a common thing that has resulted from atheism over the past several years, which is, I don't... I'm not, you know, back in the day, even back in the early 2000s, when William Lane Craig or somebody would debate some atheist professor, it was clean cut and, and understandable because Craig was taking the position that, yes, the Christian God exists, and the professor was taking the position, no, he does yeah, not I mean, exist. Yeah, this is not the old Bertrand yeah. Russell way of doing things, right. where respectfully, I disagree. Yeah. Christianity has some useful ideas, but here's why they're all wrong. Right. You know, so there's, so it's a, and this is a classical debate structure. What yeah. you do is I'm taking, does the Christian God exist? Affirmative, negative. What you have with Matt, and I haven't said this on any other interview things is I, I know he's not interested in winning and Good, losing. Save a little for the, you know. yeah, for our own show. <laughs> but, but I, I know that he doesn't see it this way, but, and it's not about winning and losing, but in terms of convincing people, if the debate question is, does God exist? And I'm saying over here, I'm trying to get in the camera. I'm saying over here, yes. And over here is no, but you're not here. You're here on the pivot point, And you're saying, uh, I don't know. Then guess what? If this over here gets one solid thing in its favor, then it goes that way yeah. in audience perception. And I think, and we're beyond talking now about what I think Matt did well, but I think overall in the debate, and I didn't say this on any other interviews because I hadn't listened to it yet. Now, I don't have the video, but I've I've heard it because it was it was recorded audio of it, and it's not released yet. But what I, what I think, what I hope comes out is that what they heard, what the audience heard, was a lot of Matt saying, yeah, I don't know, but I don't think you can either. I don't know, but I don't think you can either. No, that doesn't convince me. That doesn't convince me. And then, he, and then me on the other side, and I don't mean to sound arrogant because I know I'm talking about myself and I hope I don't come off that way, but me kind of eager to answer every question that could come. So yeah. even when he would make a statement that wasn't a question and the clock ran out when he's supposed to be questioning me, I would be like, what? Can I answer that? Because that was supposed to be a quick. I want to answer that, you know. Whereas I think typically in a debate, the idea is, uh, I said that, and boom, now you don't have a response. It was no, I want to answer that. I'm excited. Maybe I can help clear that up for you. So yeah. um, I hope that they saw one guy saying, "I don't know a lot," and neither do you, which I understand Matt's position on all that. And then one guy saying, "No, it's it's not that I think I'm so great because I know. Let me tell you why I think I know." You yeah. know. 
So anyway, let's go through this thing. Uh, what did you think about my opening statements? Well, I love the free will argument. Be critical if you want to. No, I, 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 I usually, well, you know, uh, it's kind of inevitable. Yeah, yeah, you'll say something. Yeah. No, but uh, I, I really liked, well, number one, you have a really good cadence. So, uh, well, I was told to I spoke too you, fast. Well, okay. But that's from people who don't listen to audio on double speed like you're supposed to. Right. <laughs> I, I didn't think that you spoke too fast. I thought you were clear. I thought that you were had a good cadence. Uh, you you kind of sounded like the happy warrior there to, you know, uh, a little bit of that Tennessee folksy thing comes out through okay. you when, when you speak. Yeah. If you say so. <laughs> uh, I'm from Tennessee. Yeah, I know. Uh but I, I really liked the free will argument because uh, I, I, it's one thing to read what you wrote, what you prepared for. It's a, one thing to hear you drone on endlessly in my office about it. But to hear it presented is a different thing, right, yeah. than just hashing it out. And I thought that it, it, it presented way better than I thought it would because we were worried that it was going to be too technical or that we were worried that it was going to be too uh, and it may have been. esoteric. But because of your delivery, I, I think that it, it works as a good, solid argument. It was not something that we've heard a million times. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand if it ain't broke, don't fix it, go to the Kalam. Yeah. But what I liked about your, uh, throughout the rest of the debate on the Kalam, is that you didn't say the Guth-Valinkton model, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. you know, I'm glad you stayed away from that because philosophy does matter. I know everyone says theology matters. Well, theology matters because philosophy exists. You can only have theology because of philosophy. But so philosophy matters. Uh, and, and you were right to say later on in the debate, well, I know we'll get to that, but well, who cares if I'm a physicist or not a physicist? Right. Could, the science right. side of it. Right. Irrelevant. Even Craig says, who's the modern champion of the Kalam, yeah. he says uh, the the best answers are the Philosophic, philosophical right. answers. The science and, answers and, and are just I've window made dressing. This point before. Not window dressing. But. I've made this point before. Number one, theists need to stop poo-pooing philosophy. But number two, atheist philosophers owe a huge debt of gratitude to the resurgence of Christian philosophy for keeping philosophy at all relevant. Yeah. Because atheist philosophers were just ready to bow down at the altar of science and say, yeah, we're, we're ir as irrelevant as Stephen Hawking and Lawrence Krauss say we are. And then Christian uh, philosophers said, yeah. no, we have to keep these people in check because now they're like, forget falsif uh, falsification, uh, forget all this uh, other stuff. We're just going to make it up because we have math. Right. You know, and they're like, no, until no. you bring us dirt from another multiverse, shut up. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So it, it's really good that, uh, when I see philosophy championed from, from a, a Christian perspective, but I'm also even happy when atheists start to k kick back against the goads on that as well. Yeah. And they owe a debt of gratitude to Christians uh, for that. Well, Because so, philosophy does matter. So, and again, theology, what we do, is actually impossible. That's why Aquinas said it's the handmaiden of theology, because you can't do it without it. That's right. Uh, so I, I really liked that part of you doing the Kalam, because you didn't try to sell so much the cosm uh, the cosmological the argument from uh, cosmology itself yeah. or from physics. He's, well, philosophically speaking, this has, has to be uh, science supports it 
Yeah. You know, there is science that supports it, yeah. but, but, but let's talk about why objections yeah. to it don't matter. So that was good. And then I thought your resurrection case, which was the bulk of the, because the, the, you it had was a to, full 10 minutes. Yeah, you had to divide minutes. 10, you had 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you divided 10 minutes between the free will argument and the Kalam, and then you had a full 10 minutes on the resurrection itself. And I thought, I, again, it, it might be because I'm biased, you know, you know, I love you more than most people on planet earth, you know, so I'm <laughs> oh, going to be, I'm going to be somewhat biased, but uh, again, it, it, the delivery, I thought that you gave a better presentation for the resurrection than any I've ever heard from any apologist ever. Well, that's high praise. Uh, because it had the, the same amount of scholarship in it that the others have. But again, I go back to this uh, annoying Tennessee d- demeanor that you have. Yeah. That you, and I, it is annoying because, number one, I don't have it. <laughs> you, know? you have an Arkansas demeanor. Right. Well, I get up there and grunt and no, s- no. scowl and everything. No, no. Yeah, we have our own way in Arkansas, I know. Uh, you're lucky hey, we wear shoes to the debate. I'm married right? to an Arkansas. Me too. <laughs> From the same town That's as right. my wife, you know, Springdale. Uh, but... I think because you're such a good presenter of that, that I thought it was probably the best 10-minute opening statement debate uh, presentation of the case for the resurrection that I've heard. And I love Mike Lacona and I love William Lane Craig. I'm sorry you can't do it like Braxton can. Ah. That was well, that was because by that point in the opening statement, you had kicked into high gear already from getting the rest. Yeah, diffuse the audience with a joke, get into your uh, your arguments, and then by that point, you've hit your stride. Yeah, and I, for me, I thought that was the best ten well, minutes we, on the resurrection okay, of so any let, debate let, ever. Let me tell you, I go watch that so, uh, when it comes out just yeah. to just to see uh, William Lane Craig could learn something <laughs> <laughs> from gosh. that one. Oh uh, my gosh! Well, here's here's the thing I want to say on the free will argument. Uh, you can listen to the Bible Brodown episode to hear me kind of go through that tier by tier and, and yeah. what I said. But 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 I will say this that I didn't say there, which is because it's a new argument, uh, the concept is not new. C.S. Lewis said things like this. People have said things about free will and God right. before. But because structuring it like an argument for God's existence and not just throwing it in as a cumulative data, you know, in a cumulative case apologetics approach, because of that's somewhat new, I'm a little bit sensitive or self-conscious about that argument. And so I have arguments on arguments to support each premise. You'll notice, um, if you watch the debate, that in the rebuttals, he pressed me, or I, I don't think he wanted to talk about free will, but I pressed him to talk about it, and when I did, he challenged me, primarily on premise two. And I had three arguments, sub-arguments, ready that could be their own, one of them a, d- a deductive argument, ready to support that premise. So yeah. if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I, I can think of a way that I could shoot that down, you might. But it's unlikely that in the past eight months, really, I've had this argument for about two years. It's unlikely I haven't thought of it and don't have something to say about it. Yeah. And so, the, and I, and I, you know, I thought about well, I could just kind of explain all that in this episode. But then I decided, no, I may use this again yeah. in debate. Now, in the aftermath yeah. of this uh, debate, yeah. from those who've just heard about it, you know, people are still waiting to see it as of the time of this video recording. Um, some have heard it live. Some have heard. You, you hash it out with them before, but there's a there's a, a part of Christendom now uh, that's the uh, part of the, the the little apologetics junkies yeah. that are super excited about this, and they're yeah. glad that you just threw it out there in a big major debate. It's yeah. like yeah, we're, uh, we love we're not a you know 
this is I think this is the apologist going to be like it's our time to own it because in within Christendom itself, not necessarily apologetics arena. Uh, compatibilists have been out there running their mouths, confusing this issue. No offense, Tyrio ban, all that. But, you know, within Christian circles, and, and people are so excited about this because they can talk about it outside of that context and say, yeah, we're Christians and Christians for 2,000 years uh, in the East and still streams in the, the non-Augustinian West, uh, people who don't, you know... Have a firm libertarian it, freedom. Right, for 2,000 years. But here's the thing. This is a Christian view. And we think that it's it's a it's evidence for God's existence because, like you say in in the argument, it's if libertarian freedom does exist, if, if God God's not, God's if God, the best explanation yeah, for basic. that because we're yeah. So where where can you get it? But see, here's the thing, and, and I mean, there's not a pixie out there that can give it to you, right? And here's unless the, you you know you're Matt Dillahunty's pixie, universe creating pixies. <laughs> right. uh, but but see, here's the thing. I have actually it's not even been a week as of this recording. Um, this is on a Wednesday, and, and it was Friday that it was the base. It's not even a week. Yeah. And I have already had at least two Calvinists say to me right. that I'm a Calvinist, but I would endorse that argument. Right. And here's why, and I do think I said this in other things, but it needs yeah. to be said. First of all, the argument doesn't go in reverse. The, the claim is not, the claim is if God does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist. The claim is not that if libertarian freedom doesn't exist, then God doesn't exist. That's, that's, not, the, that's not the claim. Right, right. So I could make this. But I, like I said before the show, I might do some work on that to challenge you on that. But right. But but here's the but here's the thing with with to, like this is what I've been using. Well, my my complaint for that was was that what was I said I said if you're already a determinist, an atheist could just assume say, well, you don't need God for that because the cosmos takes care of of why determinism. Yeah, but soterio ban yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So here, here's the thing, I. Um, I've used this as a as an analogy of the yeah. argument to tell my Calvinist friends why it is that I think they can endorse this argument and right. even use it. Well, yeah, maybe even use it as a, as a defeater, as a philosophical defeater. Um, well, some Calvinists do use the Plantinga free will defense as a defeater, as a philosophical defeater for the logical problem of evil, just because that's just the way yeah, math works, you know. Right. I, even if I don't, even if I personally think libertarian freedom doesn't exist, the Calvinist yeah. could say. It, it's a. De- I could be wrong because and it's, it's a logically defeater. possible. It's yeah. a defeater. Now, but, but hold on. Let yeah. me give my counter analogy. So, here's an argument. If God does not exist, then talking bullfrogs don't exist. Talking bullfrogs do exist. Therefore, God exists. All right. Now, I don't believe in the existence of talking bullfrogs. I, right. I don't think they have the 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 vocal cords necessary and the genes necessary and all those kind of things. But if someone used that argument, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I wouldn't, like, get bothered about it. You know why? Because if we ever do discover talking bullfrogs, guess what? God's the best explanation for their existence, right? I mean, right? Yeah. So, I, so I don't know why. That's all I want to say about that. I don't know why. Uh, 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 well, most Calvinists have been receptive to it. Now, I do much. want to remind my Calvinist friends, though, that John Feinberg in The Many Faces of Evil thinks it's fundamentally dishonest for you to use arguments like that or the free will defense because— says we don't believe it. I don't think like it's even dishonest. The, he said, well, I'm just t- telling you what Feinberg says in, yeah. in The Many Faces of Evil, and he says uh, in so many words that you shouldn't use that if you don't believe it. I don't and think I it's think dishonest I agree if you preface Feinberg. it with, yeah. I could be wrong about my understanding of determinism. I could be wrong about freedom, yeah. and maybe we do have libertarian freedom, and if that's even remotely possible, then it would 
overcome your argument. Yeah. It's a defeater. A def- with a philosophical defeater, you don't have to know it to be the case. Yeah. It's just as long as it is possible. Right, but Feinberg yeah. would say, number one, you're either uh, spreading false ideas <laughs> by putting them out there as, yeah. as a live option, or you lack conviction for well, your own beliefs. Either way, it's not good. I'll that, tell you. That's what I, I, you don't have to, if you're a Calvinist, you don't have to agree with John Feinberg, but I do. Well, let me tell you some things I think Calvinists would <laughs> I like. I think he's right about that. Is after the debate, there was a young lady who came up to me, and she said, I can't be a Christian because I'm a determinist or something like that. And, and she said, I'm a determinist. Oh, no, she said, how do you get over the problem of evil? And so I gave the free will answer. And she said, but I don't believe in free will. And I, I may be remembering this wrong if she listens, but I thought it was something like, I can't be a Christian because I don't believe in free will. And I offered that we do have determinists who are Christians. So even though I'm not a Calvinist, uh, a Christian who affirms determinism, uh, the, the fact, there's a whole lot more with Calvinism, obviously, but, but the fact is I'd rather her be a Calvinist and be a Christian than be, um, an, uh, you know, believe in free will and be an atheist. You know, I'd, ra- right. I'd rather her be on our team. So I don't care. If that's what it takes, I'm not going to tell her that I believe it's true because I don't. Yeah. But if you're convinced of determinism, guess what? There is a brand of Christianity that affirms determinism, and I think those people are going to heaven. Yes, they are. And, so, and, and, and like them, you have a belief you cannot rationally affirm, which was one of your points <laughs> in so, the free will so, argument. Is so, that, you know, without Well, it, there actually is a whole set of yeah. things, and I'm not ever going to do this video, but there's a whole set of things that would change features of the argument slightly if we're talking about God and of course that argument couldn't even be used. But things that I said, like the rationality, the morality, all, all these kind of things, it has to be nuanced if you're going to talk about Calvinism. And Soterio ban, Soterio ban. But y'all got to give us a pass because I brought a free will argument. Of course, Calvinism and the interplay there. Well, has because to come Calvinists talk it. to you about it. Yeah, yeah. You guys yeah. brought it up. It's not. Well, I, and I think it's the interest factor because it's not. I mean, I think it's a treat. When William Lane Craig deviates from script and talks about abstract objects as <laughs> existence of God or something, or mathematics, yeah, or, or, you know, brings an ontological right. You you like yeah. yeah yeah something that's not something new yeah. And, and it wasn't too long ago, just a few weeks ago, Kevin Kevlar Henderson was saying, "When is an apologist going to bring something different?" You know. Yeah. And I was thinking in my head, I wanted to type it, but I was like, "Well, let's just wait and see." <laughs> but now Matt asked me on the Bible Brodown, did I think? How did I think it went? And it remains to be seen. I think it's got something really strong going for it because despite what my atheist friends want to say, most of the people out there, normal people, just no, like yeah. you're working with or going to school with who just don't believe, but they're not like dogmatic. They're not like watching the atheist experience and stuff. Most people, if you tell them what Daniel Dennett says, basically you're a moist robot. You know, They know that is absurd, right? Of mm. course my, my decisions are libertarianly free, even if they don't know that terminology. And then when you plug in the morality aspect of it, because that's the cool thing. I He didn't take the bait, but I, I wondered if he would think I was bringing the standard uh, objective morality thing. But what I was arguing was, if, if, if you don't have libertarian freedom, despite the ongoing debates between Christians and atheists about whether and how you can have objective moral values and duties with or without God, yeah. that's not what I'm doing. I don't think you can, but... Even if you do, it's a moot point because if you become a sex offender or if you become a philanthropist, it's all determined and you could not have done otherwise. 
And Matt knows this because he said things before, like in the Eric Hernandez debate, that, well, we still can hold you responsible. We can, and sure, that's true. That's what Dennett says in his book, Elbow Room. You, you, we can incarcerate these people. Uh, we can reward people. But you cannot hold them ultimately praiseworthy or blameworthy because they couldn't, they were determined. Yeah. Right? And it, that doesn't, see, people forget. Okay, so. Uh, people forget the history of, of ideas because nobody reads great books anymore, uh, which they should. But you know, it's like it's like Solomon said: "There's nothing new under the sun." Uh, I, I these ideas, like okay, so scientists, you had you have data about scientists and atheist philosophers who are shoehorned into the idea that determinism is. This is the way it is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What was the percentage of, of the philosophers? Yeah, so I had all this data. Yeah. And the thing is, you prepare so much, and then so little of it gets brought up in the right. debate. But I had, if he had pressed me on, well, the majority of philosophers, well, first of all, if he had pressed me with, you know, neuroscientists, they they all know now that, and he, he did mention libid experiments, not by name. And I said, oh, yeah, libid experiments. I'm happy yeah, to talk, talk about, about that. Yeah. And then he left it alone. But um, Because he didn't want to talk about it. Well, he, but the thing he's is. He's heard the name, you know. <laughs> yeah. I and we ought to do a whole show on libid experiments yeah. and experiments. I always get this impression well. that sometimes you put something out there like a feeler to see how it goes to see it. and then you're like i'm staying away from that because he might know more about this than me could be yeah. i don't know that but but so uh but so uh so i had this whole thing about neuroscience there was a major landmark study that came out last year of all of the neuroscience findings that had to do with free will and determinism um, for several decades, including libid experiments and what the conclusions that were drawn were was that the the conclusions in those studies were whether they were in favor of free will or determinism were biased in almost every case and the conclusions were not based directly on the findings right and so it basically means hey win one for skeptics if you're skeptical about this issue yeah. guess what the neuroscience doesn't help you one way or the other and then on the philosophy what you were asking was yeah. I also had the data on okay and I'm going to probably get this wrong and I don't have it in front of me but it's close 74% of the philosophers that were polled by scientific by a study that was uh, put out and then it was in Scientific America was 74% said um, no 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 no, no, no. 58% were compatibilists yeah. of these philosophers and graduate students in philosophy. 58% uh, were compatibilists. I forget how many were hard determinists. It wasn't a huge number. And uh, I think it was something like 17%. It could have been less, could have been more. A firm libertarian freedom right. of these philosophers. Here's the thing. That particular study, 74% of the uh, philosophers that answered the questions were atheists and a huge right. chunk were naturalists. Yeah. So all we, but then another study said that the majority of the general population is libertarian freedom, right. which includes some atheists and stuff. Right. So here's what we learned from that. We basically learned premise one of my free will argument is backed up by it because what it means is if you're an atheist, you or tend to be a yeah. determinist, and if you're the general population, you tend to be right. Which is what I'm going to say because and there's a cultural history to this when philosophers surrendered philosophy to the deference of science, and this is in the last uh, sixty to a hundred mm -hmm. years. Um, they tend to take okay if if they they've worked Alex Rosenberg being the I think William Lane Craig rightly recommended his book as kind of the pinnacle of this is this is the world if if he's right and you should you know and then he in the debate he 
debunked all of it. But mm-hmm. like, this is the world, own it, right? And and you see that they own this world uh, of they, they they claim methodological naturalism, but they all are essentially hiding the fact that they're metaphysical naturalists, you know, because they really are. Whether they talk about well, we don't use that in our work, well, bogus. We all have you know our biases and presuppositions, but as that has happened, you you get more groupthink like scientists and stuff. But over the the last, uh, I want to say even 150 years, but even less than that in the last, especially in the last 50 or 60 years, what you have is you have over specialization where people uh, aren't generalists anymore. They don't they haven't read the history of ideas, mm-hmm. so they get locked into their specializations and they cannot think outside of it. And so they get locked into these ideas. And I think that determinism is one of those ideas that a lot of atheist philosophers and, and scientists have locked into because they don't see how their worldview can can account for anything else and they ignore everything else. Right. You know. And so I think it's good that somebody is bringing a challenge to that uh, in and of itself. And I think your argument is a vehicle to challenge that and say, like, like you pointed out, yeah, okay, well, guess what these people also believe about the world, which leads them to this. Yeah. You know, oh, no, no surprise there. Yeah. Uh, you know, but what is surprising is that uh, at what, 74%, so 26% uh, were not atheists, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 58%, you, you no, said, no, 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 Se- 74% or whatever were atheists. Right, which means 26% of the people were not. Were not. Yeah. You know, but they only got 58% on compatibilism, but it got 17%. So what that tells me is that some of the non-atheists, which they could have been mm-hmm. Muslims or whatever, um, you know, that's a difference of 9% uh, of the non-atheists were also some form of compatibilism. But, but again, and again, the numbers are generally correct, but I don't have it in front of me, but it's easily accessible. But the, the thing... Uh, so there's the free will argument. Let's move that off the table. Yeah, I know that people want to hear about that. Um, in fact, the next day I did two interviews on it yeah. with in front of a crowd, and that's like all people wanted to talk about was the free will argument in one of the interviews. Right, because but, we've heard all the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, don't it, go off on it again. Well, it sounds awful to say the resurrection's old hat. <laughs> you know, no, you, no, you, no because I want to say something about right, the resurrection. No, I know. I say, and nobody should act that well. The resurrection, yeah, mm-hmm. we've heard that before. Uh, don't be that way because the resurrection is the most important thing. That's everything, right? Uh, but so then the so then the Kalam cosmological argument. Now this thing, I'll go ahead and the, say, the, yeah, who cares? The the thing I want to say about that was it pairs so well with the free will argument. Yeah. Because later in the debate, and I'll just go ahead and say this now. Later in the debate, he challenged me on how do you know it's an agent? Okay. So we worked through all the Kalam. We worked through all the things. Uh, the, how do you know it's spaceless, timeless, non-material, all that. When we got to agent, he presses me on, well, how do you know it's an agent? And I said three things. I said, first of all, because uh, these other things that would qualify as spaceless, timeless, non-material don't have causal powers. And then I said, but that's not the end of the story. Also, um, you have different kinds of causation. You have event event causation. Like if I, I think I said, if I threw my water bottle at Layton and it knocked the microphone out of his hand, <laughs> that's an event that caused another event. You have right. state state, which is like a frozen pond with a log resting on top of the, the state of the frozen pond is the state of the thing. But what we'd have here is state event causation. And do you know what explains that? An agent. And he yeah. was like, well, that's just because that's the only thing that you can answer. And we were running out of time, and I was like, no, it's not. And I was like, and then <laughs> lastly, um, it had to have libertarian freedom. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why does the first cause of the physical universe have to have libertarian freedom? Because there was no prior determinism to lead to that event. You had nothingness, which has no properties, no powers, no potentialities, no possibilities. So it has to have libertarian freedom. And what has libertarian freedom? Agents do. Now, yeah, but I, I hear Paul Helm in the back of my mind saying, uh -huh. nuh-uh. Just as much as uh, Matt Dillahunt, and I know Satirio Band. Well, make the case for him. Huh? You be Paul Helm. Well, he would case. say, well, he's determined by his nature. Yeah. So he didn't have, he, he and this is, you've seen, I've seen Matt Slick do it. I've seen James White do it. And uh, Matt Slick did it in his conversation with Layton. Uh, James White did it in his conversation with Michael Brown. Could God have created a different cosmos than the one he did? They say no. Either no, or I, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I, I no. Because he's a, okay. But see, here's because the he thing. could have only created this what, one. What what people don't understand. And what Paul is, Helm, the esteemed philosopher of Christianity, yeah. does not understand. Right. Is that what you're saying? If the, if he's raising this criticism, now, I mean, I mean, James White and I don't and, care. And I, Slick this don't, is where me and Matt Dillahunt are the same. Yeah. I don't care how many letters are after your name. If you're right. wrong, you're wrong. And, here, and here's the thing. How many letters are after you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> here, here's, here's the thing. So You can say that because of how many because letters? Because I do, do have, have letters right. after my name. But here's the thing. Uh, but you don't have to have letters after your name to say that. It's still true. But here, here's the thing. People think that libertarian freedom only means, you only, like the, is that you have to have the, what's called the PAP, the principle of alternative possibilities. Yeah. That I could have done otherwise. That when I just did this, I could have done otherwise. And that came up in the debate because that is, I do think we have that yeah. in most cases. That is a sufficient but not necessary condition for libertarian freedom. Uh, has you you even if you don't have the principle of alternative possibilities. So let's just grant Paul Helm that okay, and I, I'm not granting this, but that God couldn't have done otherwise than whatever He did in every situation because God is bound by His nature to always do only the best thing. Okay, let's just say something like that. Or always whatever or, thing. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. They, they don't. I don't know. Well, however they want to say it, right. that He only did ever one thing He can do. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. The libertarian freedom just says, a mere libertarian freedom would say that you are the originator of your actions and that nothing outside of yourself determines you to do whatever. Well, they would you agree do. with that, but they would say that he couldn't do he couldn't do and I'm saying that's what's required for libertarian so, freedom. So they're, they're, but on they're compatibilism, just failing on definition. Yeah, then. because on compatible, because I've heard people say when I say that, oh well, that's just compatibilism. You just don't understand. No, I yeah. understand perfectly well. On compatibilism, there's some, there is something outside of you yeah. that is determining you. The past history of the universe, your life experiences, right. the fire, your neural structure, all these kind of things are deter are leading into determining you to do have the desires that you have that then result in the right. actions that you take. So yes, there is something, but with God. Even if there was never anything else that he could have or would have done, he was the originator of his actions, and nothing external to God determined him. So yes, God rightly but, has. But to be fair, you know the, the sophisticated Calvinist. Most Calvinists you meet will believe that God has libertarian free will, and he could anyway, have, yeah. and he could have created any number of different universes, but decided to create this one among all the possibilities. Whereas in most, uh, you know, higher intellectual Calvinism, they'll grant that God in his natural knowledge had all the possibilities that he could do, but he could never have chosen anything other than the one that he did because yeah. he was determined by his nature to maximize his glory. Uh, there's a lot of hidden assumptions in why they hold to right. compatibilism about God, which I think are silly. 
to put it mildly. Uh, that's why people say, when are you going to debate a Calvinist again? When are you going to debate a Calvinist again? Uh, well, Calvinists don't want the philosophy debate. They want to argue another debate about Ephesians 1 or John 6 or whatever. And I'm, I'm after something else. I'm after the thing that they ran from Teddy and Sonny about. Give me a meaningful difference between compatible. Well, we've broken the Sotero band for sure now. Right. But <laughs> but, 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 what I, but what I'm saying. But it, we made it four episodes. Right. But it's in, <laughs> but it's in service to the, this to the topic. Argument. Right. Yeah. Uh, because there are objections to it. There are objections that the, that Matt Dillahunte could bring a theist objection to it as yeah. a defeater. Yeah. Uh, if he if he so chose, because I was surprised in the debate, what he didn't do was use uh, the question was, does the Christian God exist? If he had just argued for Islam and Allah, he could have won right, the debate so, so now, so now by he, that way. Here's where we know? get to the resurrection. First of all, what I wanted to say was that the Kalam, I was able to tie it back to freedom, and we actually had one other person say that was how those two arguments worked so well together. Yeah. Uh, if he had challenged me on premise one of the free will argument, God is that basically I'm saying God's the best explanation for free will. One of the things I would have said, so there's three things I would have said about that. One is that if God does not exist, then... Um, the universe is just a natural system of cause and effect. Yeah. And even Daniel Dennett, who's one of uh, Matt Dillon Hunt, the guys that Matt Dillon appeals to a lot, Daniel Dennett said that the, the best explanation, naturalistic, obviously, that he's come up with for yeah. libertarian free will or that he's heard anyone say is basically that our, there's multiverse and our brains are like quantum multiverse navigators that move us in and out of different realities. And my impression from reading Dennett was that he thought that was absurd. So, yeah. so that, so, but that, that was the best thing. That was do. the best thing anybody could do. So, God's the best explanation. And yeah. here's the thing. Also, I was going to say, even if you came up with some quantum weird explanation that did work like that, now you, all you've done is explain how God did it. Because uh, God, there's a teleology, a design right. to libertarian freedom. One hundred percent. I know this is old hat to you, but they haven't heard it yet. Uh, so, so one hundred percent of the benefits that are afforded to us by libertarian freedom are important for relationship building love morality um, rational affirmations and pure altruism pure altruism is important and we can go into that on another episode but so there's a design to it now i don't think that i don't know that libertarian freedom is necessary for evolution so if someone wanted to say well maybe we just got it all because evolution so right. i don't know that you need that for survival but you do need it for the kinds of relationships that the bible describes yeah and so well, evolution evolution can't produce anything that, that can be causal outside of the natural world anyway right unless you're a theistic evolution so which brings you back to god so yeah. or, or your mind is reducible to right. your brain chemistry which is reducible to biology so you know it's 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 dominoes all the way back. All the way back. Okay, so now the resurrection. The thing I did different here, and yeah. it's not different. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, this the resurrection brings us back to the debate question. Does the Christian <laughs> right. God exist? Oh, and he challenged me. He acted like, sorry, Matt, but he, he acted like, well, you brought arguments at least a little bit that could be used by other religions, and that's inappropriate. No, this is, this is how classical apologists work. We show that God exists so that when we come to the resurrection— that we have an agent who could do something right. like a resurrection, and 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 this is in, this is key. Matt said some things about the resurrection case, but not much, and nothing substantive. Sorry. And here's the thing: if the debate question is, does the Christian God exist? And I spend a full half of my opening statements doing resurrection case, yeah. and you don't respond to it. That is called a tacit concession right. in a debate, and that that is a that well. Is I mean, he, he, he well, well, he did 
throw out there as an aside that, well, if somebody had their head chopped off and then he saw him again with their head reattached, he couldn't conclude that a god did it. He would just conclude that, well, we have something interesting here. Right. Now, someone might wonder why was, didn't but, I respond to some yeah. of that stuff, and it's because the way the debate was structured, after he did his rebuttal, which was the first time he interacted with my arguments, after that, my rebuttal had already gone. We were going into cross-X. Yeah. So I couldn't respond you know, freely to Yeah, that. but I was saying, what... what, what uh... That that's that. So what? <laughs> you know, that's my thing. What I would have said if, is, if I'm debating you, mm-hmm. and the debate question is, does the Christian God exist? I have a pantheon of other gods that I could pull from, and I yeah. would I would tie you up for the two hour debate refuting every other religion. Yeah. And, and, yeah, tactically. Yeah, and I'll give him credit here. He was trying to have a real conversation because well, tactically. Yeah. Tactically, he didn't even have to worry about my theistic arguments. He could have only focused on the resurrection, and if he could knock down our reason to believe in the resurrection, then guess what? The Christ- we can't affirm that the Christian God right. exists. And he, he said something about— but it's been the whole line of the theistic arguments, right. probably because I was pressing him. Yeah, to. and he—I mean, we had people with their heads cut off, and then we had a couple of other things, but that, that was it. You know, and I was like, oh, and I don't care what scholars say, and I don't care what. So that's your trash can lids and aliens that he was complaining about. Like Kona is, we get decapitated people and reattached, and he didn't know what to make of it. Which does go back to Lycona, <laughs> right? So you have a guy who was decapitated, and you see him again with that with his head reattached, and you don't know what to make of it. That's your so argument. he was helping me there. Yeah, whether well, he realized it because I my case was against him was n- number one. Matt tries. I don't think he's necessarily trying to do this, but the way he frames it is, it sounds like if you don't convince me, then you lose, <laughs> right? So so then I'm trying to point out, Matt has an unrealistic and somewhat fanciful level of skepticism. Except he, says, has, he doesn't have that in his everyday life. He doesn't do life. that with biological evolution. Right. He doesn't do that with, is this chair going to hold me? You know, but, right. but here's the thing. The, 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 I don't know. He may have problems getting out of bed in the morning. I don't want to speak for him. <laughs> But he does. So his level of skepticism on anything else is... is right, so... And, and I think he said you can't have too much skepticism. Yeah, now I want to say something about this. But yeah. first, let me finish my point. So uh, if you just said, if you just agreed with me that if someone parted an ocean in Jesus' name, <laughs> you wouldn't believe. If it was written on the moon, you wouldn't believe. And now you actually took what I said and said, yeah, and I'll give you some more. If someone's head got cut off... And then it reattached without human involvement, and they resurrected. I wouldn't believe you're making my case for me that your level of skepticism is unrealistic and fanciful. And I was trying to tell the people in the audience: if you're an atheist out there, and 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 you think that would be some pretty darn good evidence, then Matt's opinions about good and bad evidence should have no hold on you. Right. And so, so that's that's all that. But now, what did you just say about you can never have too much skepticism? Okay, he has always says this David Hume thing where. Um, I want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible. Okay, now, this I'm not the first to say this, but yes, I agree with him. The question is, in trying to accomplish that and knowing you're never going to do it perfectly, where do you lean? And he leans skepticism, way skepticism, even though he doesn't think so. But here's the thing. The reason for that, so you could believe, if you believed everything anyone ever said in, in life, you would believe all the true things, but you'd also believe a lot of false things. Right. If you were skeptical, if you disbelieved everything anyone ever said to you, you would you would avoid all the false things, but you'd also avoid all the true things. So what you want to do is, he's right, you want to be in the middle somewhere trying to come up with a way to get as many true and as few false. But you're going to lean one direction or the other, and he leans skeptical 
Because I, the only thing I can get is because that seems safer, because it's dangerous to believe false things. What I want him to realize, and all of the atheist listeners to realize, is it is just as dangerous to disbelieve a lot of true things, right? right? If you disbelieve that smoking causes cancer, that is incredibly dangerous. Well, I'm just right. skeptical about that. Well, okay, be skeptical <laughs> and die of cancer. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, you cannot do... I'm sorry, I know you've got a family history of that, but yeah. I'm just saying, no, that's, 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 that's... I agree with you. My, yeah. my dad would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, your dad would be like, darn right, son. Yeah. So, so the, the, thing, the thing about it is, it is dangerous, and so, so why... You know, just do the Anthony Flew thing. Follow the evidence wherever it leads. Right. And guess what? You don't have to have certainty to have knowledge. Right. And I think he would agree, but he needs to and, own and up it, to that. It and doesn't have to be way. derived from science to count as knowledge. That's uh, right. And, and I mean, or any methodological naturalist. Right. It, it, to count as knowledge, and 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 even that that claim itself uh, is self defeating because you're mm-hmm. using other means namely philosophy to to arrive at that conclusion that science is the only thing that can give you knowledge and it never dawns on people that their argument is self-defeating because once again they haven't read books they're no longer generalists they're locked into their specialization and they can't think outside that box and the problem is is when people want to popularize those ideas which is what Dillahunty does um, I'm not saying he's not well read he's he's well read but he is locked into a mindset uh, of one aspect of the conversation without you know understanding the pillars that prop up that worldview that once you kick them all out there's nothing holding it up and that's that's why you can go in there and tear somebody up like like, and i and i don't mean i'm not just trying to be facetious like oh you smacked him in the face or whatever i'm just saying you did in a very congenial way dismantle um his entire case because he didn't bring much of one and what he did, he didn't understand that there's nothing to support it underneath because that whole worldview has already kicked out all the pillars. Well, you know, one of the things he always says that he said in this debate is, you know, if there's a God, he should know what would convince me. I don't know what would convince me, but he should know and he should give it to me. And what I was trying to point out to him is, Matt, if if you're telling all of us here openly that you wouldn't believe if a man came back from the dead after his head was severed right in front of you. You wouldn't believe if someone parted an entire ocean. We're not talking about the, the sea. We're talking about an ocean, you know, in Jesus' name, if it were, or if it was written on the moon. Then have you considered the possibility that you have constructed an epistemology in which there just simply is no such evidence yeah. that would convince you? I mean, you? Jesus himself, I mean, he, he said, if they're not going to believe Moses, they're going to believe somebody who rises from the dead. Yeah. You know, if, if you're already there... <laughs> Yeah, and what he's can, like, yeah, are you, you telling me that your God can't yeah. make me believe? I'm like, no, no, no. He could take away your libertarian freedom and right. force you to believe. But short of that, no, it may be that there's nothing. And then I said something. This is my Tennessee folksy way, my evangelist coming out. Yeah. I was like, well, but, but I don't believe that, Matt. I think some stuff would convince you. And I'm hoping that tonight we got an old organ sitting <laughs> right. over here, and we could have an altar call, and you come to Jesus. Yeah. So that'd be One awesome. of the things that he's... He he's confused in two different directions on f- belief and faith because I so faith biblical faith d- is not the Mark Twain believing what you know ain't so right and then he's like on the other hand so he's got that problem and then he says you can't choose your beliefs like uh, oh I wished I'd gotten to address right that. because because he's like okay I but, no they can't rationally choose 
stupid beliefs, but they can choose their beliefs. Well, and you can believe that this is a pink wall instead of whatever cream color it is. This is not rational. But the right. idea that people can can't choose their beliefs is nuts because people do it all the time. Yeah, and and here's the thing: it's really just an, a, a misunderstanding of you know where the thinking is on this, right? You know, in terms of I mean, because here's the thing: is it true? Actually, I'm going to go real deep here. It's actually not even true that you can't decide to believe anything. So, for example, right. I can decide to believe this is a very small room. I could decide to believe there's an elephant in this room right now. Yeah. I could choose to believe that. The problem is I can't deliver even to myself on that belief, but I can right. still choose to believe yeah. it. Now, that's a very subtle point, and people go, well, yeah, but so what? Okay, fine. I'm just saying that's not even technically right. But secondly... Um, this is called indirect. It's just showing that the statement is nonsense is what yeah, you're doing. Yeah. But th this, is, this is called yeah. indirect doxastic voluntarism. And what it is is you can choose your beliefs by putting yourself in a position, freely choosing to put yourself in a position where the belief arises naturally. Uh, Tim Stratton gives a great example of this. Um, I think that, uh, so I think, I, I think he's got a stepson or something. I could be wrong. I'm sorry, Tim, if I am, but, but so, well, you, you, you had that situation. I'll just use you, but this is Tim's analogy. So, and we love Tim. You, so we're going to steal all his yeah, best stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm giving him credit. <laughs> so you're, yeah. so, uh, your son, Zach, yeah. um, is not your biological son, right? right? Is this okay to talk about? Yeah. Okay. So y when you first met him, it may be... His name be... is Zach Seiler. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's a, he's a, works for the government. He's awesome. A, yeah, his name is not Zach. Everyone knows that he's my son. Yeah, so yeah. so whenever you whenever whenever you first met him, it may be that, that you just had this automatic, like, I love him and he's my son deal. Yeah. But for most people, that doesn't happen immediately. Right. Can you choose to have those feelings about him? Yes. You know mm -hmm. how you do it? You put yourself in situations where that that feeling will arise naturally by hanging out with him, going to special stuff where he's right. playing a baseball game or whatever, listening to his mother tell stories about him. And you develop and you have your own experiences and you develop those feelings of yeah. relationship. And the same thing can happen with beliefs. We do it all yeah. the time. We choose what to study. We choose how far to chase that study. Yeah. We, you know, that's how that works. And, yeah, and and you you feed them till they look like you. If you know, but I mean, he, he's a yeah. I met him when he was three, mm -hmm. so um, and he was four when Misty and I got married, mm -hmm. and and yeah, you you get that, uh, and you you do put yourself, but is it's if it's one of those things that you choose because that's how love works. I mean, I, I agree with the history of Christianity that thinks that love is a choice that you right. make. You know. Uh, so it's, 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 I'm going to marry his mother, which means I become his father, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to love him and choose to love him. And then it, it, it it's, it, it's not that you don't ever choose, you know, and I, I'm going to treat him and believe him as if he's my son and believe mm -hmm. that he's my son. Not just, I know scientifically he's not, but you do have to actually believe that you're his father in order to be one. Yeah, but the saying? point... And, and that's a choice. And that's meaningful, and it yeah. is a choice, but the point that we want to make here is, you're right, within Christianity, to love is, uh, is something you choose to do, whether you have right. emotions about it or not. Right. But people say the same thing about the beliefs that they say about the emotion of love, the yeah. feeling of attachment. And you couldn't choose to have that feeling right now about a person that you don't know. 
but you can put your you can choose to put yourself in those situations right. where that feeling will arise naturally. So did you choose to have that feeling? Yes indirect doxastic voluntarism yeah. and the same thing happens with beliefs you put yourself in the classroom right. where you listen to this guy that you don't agree with and and you and you and you or that you whatever you choose what to believe now someone say well you're just describing cherry picking data in some cases but that's not necessarily the case maybe i already have a bias against say evolution and you atheists watching think that's not right okay so what do i do i can choose to believe evolution by putting myself in a situation where I'm listening to all your data, I'm, I'm listening to your guys, and the belief may or may not arise naturally. And in that way, I chose the belief. So you can choose beliefs is the point. That's just... And this is one of the things I say that he did negative in the debate. He did give a bunch of YouTube atheist bumper sticker slogans uh, instead of arguments. And that that's pretty shallow, and and he does need to be called out for that. I mean, I do I do appreciate him and all that stuff, but that that kind of thing is shallow. And this these quips like you can't choose your beliefs, and I don't know, but you don't know either. Blah 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 blah. Those aren't actual arguments; those are just blowing hot air. But what I do appreciate about Matt is he's one of the few atheists. Hitchens didn't have this going for him. Yeah. He will try to understand what you're saying and to actually respond no, to what you're I, saying. Yeah, he will understand what you're saying. He'll yeah. try to do that. But as but, but in lieu him, of giving like, well, a positive construction for anything, it's yeah. no way. And part of that's because he doesn't think he needs to, but part of it is just, I think, a little bit of intellectual dishonesty and laziness. I'm not, not going to say that. Not intentionally, yeah. but because he thinks that his definition gives him that privilege when mm -hmm. it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, not intellectual dishonesty, cognitive dissonance. Then okay, yeah, now that I'm fine with. But but that was just one criticism. I'm not trying to. Uh, we've already made all of our pleasantries. We like Matt, uh, but uh, it, it, what it does is it popularizes this notion that needs to be corrected. That as if if you have a view of the world, we call it a worldview. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you can't give a positive construction for it or a defense, it's not worth having. And he might say, yeah, but that's the whole point. I'm skeptical. But you can make a defense that skepticism is the right thing to do, the right, right. position to hold. And he kind of tried to do that. But look, let's get on past the opening Well, all he did was complain about, he, he complained about everything but science, which somehow curiously escapes his, his radical skepticism. Yeah. Because... It, but, but but if you can't even believe that you exist, which he admitted in the cross, yeah, I can't have Cartesian certainty about your existence, right? But you bailed, you gave him more than he said. Well, but see now, you said, now I know that you, but but no, he's just like no, he didn't, he didn't, yeah, he didn't and, make any decision. But if you can't know that you exist, then you can't know that you're interpreting scientific data properly right. anyway, because there's no first person person and to if your thoughts perspective are all determined. to right. There's no first-person perspective to to deliberate that information. Yeah. Which, which I mean, his the name of his show is ironic because it makes a lot of concessions. The atheist experience presupposes because consciousness. He, yeah. Uh, yeah first-person experience. First person, yeah. Well, yeah all, all this makes makes a lot of concessions yeah. that he's not willing to make in a debate. Right. So. Well, it's, now here. So let's get on past. Sorry, let's, get, let, I mean, let's. I could talk about this thing yeah, all day. But he but, made a. But he told a questioner. I, I'm all about atheism. I know what atheism is. I have the atheist yeah. experience for 16. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, you know how ironically titled that is, given everything you just said in the cross X. Sorry, Matt, but I mean, okay, own a little bit of this and say, okay, you know, sometimes you just, yeah, that's 
Okay, but but, but here's but here's the thing. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. So he won't do it, the but, reason you know. that I said brought up the certainty thing, I want because see, I thought I was going to have closing statements. The moderator, Leighton Flowers, forgot the closing statements. <laughs> So, so the thing, so hold on. So the thing is, so I, so <laughs> there's a lot of things that can be said about that yeah, in a bunch but, of different directions. Uh, most of them funny and at his expense, but we got, but, we got to get through this. Yeah, so, yeah. so I was collecting things. Well, my- I had said before the debate that he looked like my grandpa, right up from the picture. And, and so I, I'm just going to chalk this up to old Asian forgetfulness. Okay. Are you done riffing on Layton so I can talk? Not even close, but I'll go ahead and. Okay. Another, I love Layton. You're not done. <laughs> so I love Layton Flowers. So I can't believe thing. I forgot that. You had I, one job. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I th- I'm turning into Matt Dillahunty on the atheist experience. <laughs> I'll hang up on you. So here's the thing. So I was, I think a lot of people go into the cross-examination like they don't prepare for that before the debate. Like what they do is they just write down whatever comes to mind during the, during the thing. I prepared uh, what I wanted to ask him yes. during the cross. Uh, I did not. I, I, you just felt on the way whatever. What, yeah. what I got. So, and it's just two different approaches. Uh, yeah. But here's the thing with the cross X, I was collecting things from him that then I could use in my closing statements. And one of those was his lack of certainty. Now, a Cartesian certainty about his own existence. And I'll tell you why. If he had come back around, if he thought I was just trying to say, like, sling mud by doing that to make him look bad in the eyes of the audience who doesn't understand it to this depth, I wasn't doing that. What I was trying to do was to say, okay, and I think there's a big problem that everyone who's ever debated him, this is a problem. And somebody needs to call, call this out. And I was trying to do that, but it got squirrely. You're saying you can't have absolute certainty. But you're telling us we need to give you a demonstration. Okay, yeah, that's right. What is that demonstration? Well, I don't know. I'll know it when I see it. Okay, so here's a bunch of evidence, Matt. Yeah, but that's not a demonstration. Oh, so you want certainty. Nope, can't have certainty. Just want a demonstration. All right, here's a bunch more evidence. Well, that's not a demonstration. Uh, Oh, so you you really do want certainty. No, 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 can't have certainty. Well, he wants. It's to, not a shifting of the goalpost. There is no goalpost. Right, and and one thing he confuses. Is, oh, and let me quote you. Yeah. Now he might say, "Yeah, but that he has said this before. That's not our problem. That's not my fault that you don't have a way to show me." No, no, no. We got it backwards. It's yeah. not our fault. You have the position you have. Your worldview is not going to hold our methodology hostage. Right. You're, you're, hyphen yeah. Jonathan Pritchett. Yeah. You're complaining about a metal detector not detecting sand. Get over it. You know, that's why I, I think that whole discussion about that. And I know that that also came up uh, with Eric's debate. You know, you want the right tool for the right thing. You can't complain about a tool that you want to use for something that doesn't have that purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, again, things have a telos, you know, including yeah. science. Yeah. And the telos of science is not to investigate these kinds of things. But just because you don't like the metal detector because it's detecting metal and not sand, Get over it. And that that's that's that is actually his problem. But you're right; he has no goalpost, and that itself is actually a losing strategy, and he doesn't realize it. And that's what now I got animated there. Yeah, and I turned a little bit like Jonathan. It, it is too. Here, you want the sign? I, I get the prime thing, <laughs> but uh, but it, it's not a good strategy. I'm sorry. Just saying no. It it becomes like a sophist, you know, in the ancient. Well, Greek it's world. iterative skepticism. Yeah. Iterative skepticism, and I know he would deny this, is when no matter what you bring, the person says, yeah, but how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Yeah. And you know what J.P. Moreland says you do with an iterative skepticism? Just stop the conversation. 
because yeah. it's not going anywhere. Because if they don't know, then go home and figure out where you stand on this, and then you'll at least know. But something. what he said was, he says, "I want to see the data. I know you think this is evidence. I want to see, but he doesn't understand the difference between data and evidence." Go for it. Okay, we talk about this in my resurrection class. But before you go for it, let yeah. me say this: that was in the resurrection, and he said all I did was bring what scholars say. And if you watch the debate video, and it's not out yet, so I hope I'm in the shot because I'm sitting there nodding my head like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Because not only did I mention some evidence in each point for my resurrection, but I had a mountain of stuff I was ready to present if he had ever touched the resurrection. Why we believe that Jesus died. Why we believe that Jesus existed. Why we believe that Jesus appeared. Why we believe that these people died martyrs' deaths. I had right. evidence for all that. I can tell you why the scholars say that. Right. But what he said it was, you think that's evidence, I want to look at the data. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why it's evidence is because data only becomes evidence in the service of an argument. Okay? Because data is just facts. Data is just rocks. You go collect. And what you were right to point out, that, that he wanted something that is in a beaker, you know, mm-hmm. like a science thing. That's, that, that's not what you're doing. Because you can't do that because we don't have DeLoreans. They hit right. 88 miles per hour. Right. So uh, unless you want to be an infant skeptic about all of hi- history, and th- they exist, Holocaust deniers, 9-11, yeah. Yeah. whatever, didn't happen. That's well, all. And, and that's what, you know. since we can't have that, that level of, and I said something to him like, I know you're not saying science, but something kind of science-y. And yeah. I think he nodded his head. I haven't seen the video, but I remember it the night it happened. And it really is like, because we don't have that, it's just bird box when it comes to history. Yeah. And that was, you know, there were a few dad jokes in that. Yeah. I don't think they're dad jokes. There was one dad joke. They're no, everyone has universally g- agreed that you had several dad jokes. <laughs> uh, the Terminator one was good. But- uh, I was told the bird box one by Dylan Manley, who's anything but a dad joke guy. And he's like, that was my favorite You're kidding. Thing. Dylan Manley is dad joke guy. <laughs> uh, he's like the king of hipsters. But, he, well, but anyway, the the so the bird box. He, let's thing, give him a little more credit than hipster because he's actually okay. He's, he's whatever. He's is tolerable. Better than a hipster. Yeah, he's tolerable. Hipsters are barely. I'm tolerable. trying to just say he's cool. Yeah, he is. And cool. He would know a cool joke. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the point is, uh, it's bird box when it comes to history. Right, and and see that's the thing. Okay, so data. Data is like, okay, and it's easy to, to use an analogy from science. Okay, people think that the fossil record is evidence for evolution. Yeah. No, it isn't. It's data. It's data. You know what that data tells us? Where dead bones ended up to be found. Mm-hmm. Doesn't tell us where it lived. Doesn't even tell us where it died. Tells us where those... To quote Ken Hovine. Yeah. He's, <laughs> wow, I'm quoting Ken Hovine. Sorry. You can't prove that fossil had any kids. He's actually right. Yeah, <laughs> Listen, I mean, right. I don't care for the guy, and, but but uh, Ken Ham makes the same argument. Yeah, and I not I'm, I mean, I like the museum. Fine, it's answers you fine. Whatever, they're all sci- whatever. Yeah, they're right. I'm not going to take it. You know, people say right things, so let's not yeah. consider the source. You yeah. know, um, but it's true. You don't know anything about. It's just data. What you have to do with that is you have to take that data and shove it into an argument for as evidence for something. And it's, it's only as good evidence as the argument is. See, scientists, they actually make arguments because they don't, if you, if you read, they're saying this means that. That's an argument, right. you know? Uh, it, it's not like, oh, this proves that. Yeah, no, it's a probabilistic, it's an inference. Right. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an inductive uh, yeah. thing. It's, it's, you know? Science gives you likely stories. Yeah. 
uh, and some are more likely than others. And then the history of science is mostly failure, so those stories get jettisoned yeah. anyway. We have polled. We, we believe that there are 10,000, you know, uh, bears in this particular region. Yeah. And uh, we have studied, uh, and the reason we, we, we believe that they are long-haired bears, that yeah. all of them are long-haired bears. Why? Because there's 10,000, we've studied 7,000, and they've all been long-haired bears. So while we can't conclusively say so, uh, it seems that this, that's how science does. Right. So uh, history is events. Mm-hmm. Now, events are not repeatable like uh, experiments, but what events do is they leave effects. And so that effects is the data that all those scholars you're quoting from are, are picking from. It's not, oh, the scholars say. It's, no, the scholars are looking at the data and the, drawing conclusions from the data. Mm-hmm. And universally, just like scientists can come to a consensus, you can come to a consensus looking at the data from the effects of history, whether they're textual, whether they're archaeological finds, you know, that are, that are you know, pottery, whatever else. All of these things <clears throat> that, that, that history has left us from these events, that's what you, that's your data. And then you compress those into service to an argument. And what you had was is atheist, Jewish, uh, uh, Christian, whatever. You had a, a, a consensus of scholars who say this data means is evidence for this, you know, uh, event or this person's existence or, or, or this occurrence like the crucifixion or whatever, period. Yeah. The, the effects of that. That, that's what makes it. An, that's what why it's evidence for an argument because the argument everyone's like, yeah, this points to that. Yeah, and that's the difference between data and evidence. That's good. So, so, so uh, we don't. So let's uh, let's move on to talking about. Uh, we we've talked about all this. Let's let's so let's move on to the cross X. Okay, we've already kind of. I guess we've kind of talked about yeah. all that stuff. So ultimately, in the cross X, the free will argument got discussed a lot, and I was able to defend my premises. Uh, in the Kalam cosmological argument, in, it also got discussed, and I didn't realize it at the time, but to multiple people who didn't know each other, they told me afterwards that was a decisive moment in the in the debate because uh, he kept acting like we didn't know certain things, and then I'd explain why we know it, and he kept trying to say, yeah, but we're not physicists, and I kept saying, this is not a science point, this is a philosophical point, and then it was just, it was, it was, I mean, yeah. jump out of a hole with no, no place to plant your feet. You have no place yeah. to plant your feet. It's a bottomless pit. Jump out of it. How do you do that? Right. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. And then, then his, his confusion about, well, I'm not a compatibilist. And of course I didn't move towards free will. So you're a determinist then. Well, well I mean, compatibilism yeah. is determinism. So yeah. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. but you just said you're not a compatible. You moved yeah. away from compatible. So we what know are you? Compatible. Yeah. Um, and finally, he went back and said, "Well, I'm yeah, I'm 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 a determinist still. Yeah, okay, well, great. Then why did we just do that song and dance? Right. But he got <laughs> clearly he got clearly off his game. And there. so I said, "Hey, look, when I do this right here, was that determined?" And his response is, "Well, I don't. Well, I think he said no." And I'm like, "Wait, what? It, it, that's determinism." And he's like, "No." And then it went into the next section, and he's like, okay, well, let me dress that up. That would be determinism. But I'm saying I don't have a way to know. And I'm like, okay, now this is dodging and weaving. You're a determinist, right, Matt? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. But you don't know if that was determined. Right, then that was determined. And that what that was, we saw someone, and I think, and I could be reading this wrong, but we saw someone trying desperately not to have any burden of proof. Because if you say, yes, determinism is the case, and yes, that was determined— 
okay, now you got to defend that. Now right. you have, you share But the, the alternative, this is where it gets into the cognitive dissonance. The alternative just makes him look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And that's not a winning strategy because you look like you knew what you were talking about. Yeah. Even if, even if, let's say he's right about all this. Doesn't help his case because he he's the guy who's getting rattled and running around at that particular point in the cross X. So well, I do appreciate uh, that he seemed calm and cool through most, most of it. But he did get there were a couple of places where he got rattled, particularly at poor Drew Beatty, yeah. <laughs> who I didn't even know, I'd never met and thought that didn't know that that was one of our podcast listeners. Yeah, and Drew, you were absolutely right. Every scholarly general reference work says that atheism is the belief that there are. Is no God, uh, but and, and there but was a debate. I, but I still, stand I know, but there was a debate where yeah. I think it was Blake Genta or somebody cleared that up, and he's like, "Well, we just need to change it." Uh, yeah. n- why? Because you, you get you want to make up words and definite. No, pick another word. Yeah, uh, but Drew, you're right. But I don't, I don't care. People that don't haven't heard me say this, I don't care what you call yourself. I care what you mean by it. So if you want to say I'm an alligator, well, what do you mean by alligator? Someone who lacks a belief in God. All right, alligator, let's talk about your worldview. Right. Now, that's fine with me because right. I want to have real conversations and see people come to Christ. Yeah. But there is a, an important discussion about labels because that's why we talk past each other a lot of times. Right. But he did come unglued during that. But really, and the Drew thing, was absolutely the, right. The, the cross X and the question and answer time, that was where it just got better and better and better as it went. And I was just having fun. You know, yeah. I enjoyed every last. It's second. fun to win, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm again. I'm not saying that I won. I'm not going to speak well, that way. Okay. But all right. So um, let's close this thing down. But uh, watch the debate. We'll link it in the show notes. Well, actually, we won't because it's not out yet. Well, we'll um, come back and link. But it. but yeah. But so uh, if you're an atheist out there and you think I spoke too harshly here, I'm sorry. Uh, contrast that with any episode of the atheist experience. And, um, <laughs> and so uh, just, uh, you know, check us yeah, out. It's not, hey, perso- it would be it's really... not personal. It's we like Matt. It's just, it, yeah, this, this I like Matt. Game. I like yeah. Matt. It would uh, be really helpful if you guys would subscribe, even if you're an atheist. And even if you don't typically listen to my show, our show, please subscribe. It's his show. The show we're trying, something. we're, we're trying the channels to, Braxton Hunter. <laughs> we're trying, we're trying to make something of ourselves. And, and so. if you're an atheist, you can join our fellow Christians in actually supporting us becoming a patreon uh, yes click right up here yeah. somewhere around l ron hubbard and yeah. you can and if you're listening by audio you can just we uh, take atheist money <laughs> go to patreon.com slash trinity radio and thanks again to matt for the debate and layton for help for setting it up for yep. me and listen check out our sister podcasts the soteriology 101 the bible Brodown, and steve Gregg's the narrow path we'll see you next time on trinity radio this is the last Fidelity and Mission. Recently, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church assembled for a long postponed meeting that finally came to a head about what to do with clergy and gay marriage as far as uh, ordaining clergy who are non-celibate LGBTQ or uh, performing gay marriage ceremonies in their church. This debate has probably raged since the 70s between the moderates and progressives versus the conservatives with here in the United States, the conservative contingent growing smaller and smaller. However, global Methodism has exploded all over the world, and global Methodists are overwhelmingly conservative. At the meeting where they had finally had kicked the can down the road long enough and come to a decision, the Methodist Church has decided that they were going to stick with the traditional plan, which was to continue to not allow 
LGBT clergy to be ordained and perform gay marriages in their churches despite years of defiance uh, by their clergy who have gone inconsistently disciplined for breaking the uh, book of disciplines. So what this tells me is that with a vote of 800 delegates or so, uh, split 53 to 47% in favor of the traditional plan, a full 30% of those delegates being from the global church rather than the United States, that it was the African church and the Filipino church and other places around the world who came to the United States to uh, stick up for biblical fidelity, for faithfulness to Jesus and conservative traditional Christian values that have uh, been the, the position of the church for 2,000 years. We are reminded that for global Christians around the world, the United States is their foreign mission field. And so we want to thank God for global Christians who come here, defend the faith, stick up for biblical principles, and inspire all of us to remain faithful. Without the global church, the United Methodists would have gone the way of other mainline Protestant denominations that ended up uh, splitting, dividing their church uh, buildings, being vacated on Sunday mornings where all but a few remain. And so hopefully, even though there may be an inevitable split of the United Methodist Church, the faithful churches who stuck with the traditional plan will continue to thrive uh, and as they move forward being faithful Christians. So once again, thank you to the global Christian Methodists who came over here and reminded us to stay faithful to Jesus, to stay faithful to God's Word. Thank you. If you would like more content, click here and keep watching Bible Studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.